It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued, you have purpose. Today, strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, we were made for this moment. And thank you to the team that I get to work with. That is producer Luke, producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. I am blessed to work with such amazing people. And uh, check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. We send those out on Sunday afternoon. And uh, we highlight our upcoming guests as well as our most recent essays. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, their freedom, livelihood, opportunity, or lives via force. And force can be a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, the World Economic Forum, Davos Global Elite's agenda, or 87,000 IRS agents being sent out to swarm upon the masses. Uh, and um, so it's never compassionate to use force. Uh, if something's a good idea, you should not have to use force to implement it. And we are so excited this week, this Christmas week, to be pre-recording these very special shows. And one of the guests that I just love having on is Bill Federer. He is an author of many important books. And you can find him at AmericanMinute.com. And the American Minute um, is actually broadcast on many, many different outlets throughout the country. And, of course, right here at Crawford Broadcasting as well. Bill Fetter, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It is so great for you to, to join us for this pre-record. Well, great to be with you. And we're broadcasting this on the 26th, so so the day after Christmas, and that is known as Boxing Day. And for people that don't know what Boxing Day is, what's the history on that? Well, it's sort of like Operation Christmas Child that uh, Samaritan's Purse has. Uh, It's giving uh, boxes of gifts to poor people. And it goes back to Britain and then throughout the British Empire. It's mentioned even back in the 1600s. And officially, as of the 1830s, um, the Oxford English Dictionary uh, records it. But uh, the monarch of England would uh, make uh, go into the poor neighborhoods and pass out these boxes. And, and it was sort of a, a big deal for him. Uh, it happens to also be on the Feast of St. Stephen, and he was the first martyr. And so uh, um, there's a christmas carol song with the feast of saint stephen in there but um it goes back uh, probably the concept went to saint nicholas because he was the first one that started giving out uh, money to the poor and uh england had instituted the reformation and outlawed a lot of the saints but some of these cultures wanted to keep uh, parts of the tradition and so they would sort of repackage it 
But uh, but back at the third century, you had uh, this movement that swept through Christianity called Pietism, or the beginning of monasticism, and it was where uh, Jesus uh, told the rich young ruler, "One less thing, you can sell all you have and come and follow me." And so, in the third century, you'd have people becoming Christians, and they would give away all their money and be a hermit in a cave the rest of their life, or join a monastery, and even take vows of silence. And it was sort of this their version of separation of church and state. It was just my own relationship with Jesus, and I'm sort of going to withdraw from the world. Um, and so as this movement was sweeping through what is today Turkey, Nicholas becomes a Christian, and he's on fire, and he decides to give away all his money, but he, he doesn't want to get the credit for giving away the money. Uh, he decides to go at nighttime into the poor neighborhoods and throw money in the window of poor people, and they wouldn't know who gave it, and so the credit would go to God and not to him. And one of the stories that became popular was a merchant in the town, had, uh, in Patara, Asia Minor. Uh, the merchant had gone bankrupt, and back then the creditors would come and not only take your house and land, they would take your children. And this merchant had three beautiful daughters. He knew if they were taken, it would probably be like sex trafficking. And, uh, and so the merchant had an idea. He thought if he could hurry up and marry his daughters off, the creditors couldn't take him. Unfortunately, he did not have money for a dowry which was needed in that area of the world for a legally recognized wedding. Well, Nicholas, here's the problem. Late one night, throws some money in the window, provides a dowry. The oldest daughter gets married. Big buzz talk of the town. Another night, throws money in for the second daughter. And then when he's getting ready for the third, the dad's expecting it. He's waiting up. And so when Nicholas throws the money in, the dad runs outside and catches it. And Nicholas makes the father promise not to tell where the money came from because he wanted the credit to go to God and not to him. And, um, and so that's the origin of the tradition of secret gift giving on the anniversary of Nicholas's death. I, I think it's that, also, go ahead. I think that's so ahead. fascinating. Yeah. And, and it's, it, um, you know, how, uh, traditions sort of get, um, you know, their own, a life of their own. Uh, the three bags of gold that he threw in the window resulted in him being the patron saint of pawnbrokers. <laughs> and uh, pawnbrokers will th- have three gold balls hanging outside of their shop. And they would say, well, we help families out in their time of financial need, sort of like Nicholas. And it's a little bit of a stretch, but that's the history there. Um, but it, it was just a, a Greek tradition, more or less, um, un, until the Islam invaded. And um, that's when they would destroy churches and graves. And that's when they moved the bones of Nicholas over to Italy um, in the year 1087. And um, people forget in the year 846 A.D., 11,000 Muslim warriors invaded Rome, Italy, and they trashed the churches of the Basilica of St. Peter's and the Church of St. Paul outside the walls, and they trashed the bones of St. Peter and St. Paul. And so after that, Pope Leo decided to build a 39-foot wall around the Vatican. And so the concept of them coming in and trashing graves was a real threat, so that's why in the year 1087, they moved the bones of Nichols over to Italy, and this introduced its traditions to Western Europe, and, uh, and they eventually spread to America. But I'm sort of getting ahead of myself. Um, but it, it sort of goes back. You asked about the Boxing Day and the giving boxes of presents, sort of like the um, Operation Christmas Child. But uh, Nicholas was the one more or less credited with giving out presents to the poor. 
at this time of the year. Oh, I love all these uh, learning about these traditions. And, and you've done so much research on so many different things. People should go to AmericanMinute.com and see your books there. Before we get further into the interview, Bill Federer, I always like to do a quote. And I asked you before we got on the air, what would be a quote that you think would be appropriate that you'd like to share with people today? And you said it was Mark 1045. So what is that exactly? Well, uh, that is the one where Jesus is talking about his uh, mission to come to the earth anyway. And it says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so we celebrate that Jesus, the, the Son of God, became man, but he became the Lamb. And like um, Charles Wesley's beautiful hymn, where it says, amazing love, how can it be? that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. And so this is the understanding of the gospel, that God is a just God, and he cannot change his nature. He is just, which means he has to judge every sin. If he does not judge a sin, by default, he's giving consent to the sin. And if God gives consent to one sin, one time, he denies himself. He denies his just nature, and he cannot do that. And so he could never be loved back, because if somebody stepped out of line, he'd have to judge it, or else he'd deny himself. And so he came up with a plan, and the plan is his, his own son would become the lamb and take the judgment for all of our sins. So God is completely just in that he judges every sin, but it's completely love in that he provided the lamb to take the judgment for the sin. And the lamb was born, right, on Christmas Day, and that's why we celebrate it. You know, that is so fascinating. And so you can see how that then is connected to the American idea uh, as far as that justice should be impartial, that it should be the same for everyone. I mean, and don't you think that that correlates directly to God being a just God? Yeah, you know, Abraham's talking to the Lord overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's you know, saying, shall not the judge of all the world do justly? And so God forever was, is, and forever will be just, which is defined as him having to judge every single sin. If he doesn't judge his sin, then he, it's, just a, it's just a matter of degrees. He, he'd have to not judge any sin for him to be just, right? He'd have to treat everybody the same. And if, he does, if there's no judging of sin, then he's giving consent to sin. You know, in, in wedding ceremonies, the pastor says, anyone here who is against this wedding, speak now or forever hold your peace. So if you're at the wedding silent, your silence is giving consent. If there are sins going on and God is silent and not judging them, he's giving consent. And if he gives consent to one sin one time, he denies himself, and he cannot do that. And uh, it says in, the, in Timothy, God cannot deny himself. And so uh, so the, the plan is that he makes us as free will creatures. He hides himself so we have the opportunity to use our free will. That's something that is often left out. Um, because if God revealed himself in all of his universe-creating omnipotent power, um, your response would be immediate and instinctive. And you'd be like the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, I fell at his feet as dead. And it wouldn't be a voluntary response. In the presence of such power, brighter than a trillion, trillion suns, your response would be immediate and instinctive. It wouldn't be voluntary. So he has to hide himself so that we have the opportunity to use our free will. And um, I use the example, I wrote a book with my wife called Believe, but it sort of presents the gospel. And one of the ways is... Um, Imagine if there's a billionaire who has a son who goes to college, and he flies in on his private jet, drives up in his Lamborghini, 
got gold rings, Rolex, Rolex watch. He's going to have every girl on campus wanting to meet him. But if he lays all that aside, drives up in an old clunker, got holes in his jeans, the uppity girls are going to ignore him. But then there's a girl that likes to study with him in the library, and they eat together in the cafeteria, and they become friends. And she takes heat from the clique for hanging around this nobody guy. But she believes in him. They fall in love. They get engaged. And then he says, hey, I want to take you back to meet my dad. And they're driving up to this castle mansion, and the girl's like, whoa, you didn't tell me about all this. He knows that she loves him for him, not because of all of his stuff. Right? So Jesus laid aside his glory. He was born in a manger, a barn. It says in Isaiah 53 of the Messiah that there was nothing in his countenance that would make us want to desire him. Right? He only wants those that love him for him. And um, so uh, it's a fascinating uh, concept that I put it together in this book that God is a, uh, the first thing is he creates us as free will beings. Um, why? So in the, in the context of everything he controls, time, matter, space, energy, he created one little thing he doesn't control, your will. Yes. He could control it if he wanted to, but that would defeat the very reason it made us different than everything else. Right, that would, de- that would defeat the whole purpose on that. Hey, Bill Fetter, let's go to break. I'm talking with Bill Fetter. Fascinating conversation this day after Christmas. Uh, so uh, thrilled to be pre-recording this for all of you. And before we go to break, on the line with me is Roger Mangan. He is uh, with State Farm Insurance, has been with them for quite some time, 46 or 47 years. A new sponsor of the show. Roger, it is great to have you on the line. Yeah, it's great being here, too, Kim. Uh, good luck to you and the new year. I cannot believe that 2023 is right around the corner. This year has gone so quickly. You know, we, we're in somewhat of tumultuous times, but yet there's opportunity, hope. Uh, and you help people on a regular basis protect themselves with State Farm Insurance. And uh, what do you see in 2023, Roger? Well, I see a certainly a heavily weighted economy based on inflation and uh, the other side of that inflation equation has to do with insurance companies running into increased costs lack of labor uh, what we're seeing are some rate increases that are significant because of auto body parts of unavailability of body part auto body parts i see from an insurance standpoint uh, an interesting next 12 months for sure well and we talk about it all the time is the these are are man-made these are our policy decisions that are causing uh, uh, causing these things regarding supply chain and challenges and and um, increased costs for things and so that's why we do the show is to help people understand to connect the dots because people feel the hurt but they need to understand what is actually causing it and most all of it is public policy and uh, so people need to kind of I think fasten their seatbelts for 2023 but I I think that uh, there is great opportunity uh, in 2023, because we as Americans, we're creative and we're innovative, uh, but it is important to have things properly insured, and you can help people with that, Roger. Yes. Okay. And Roger, uh, you are doing complimentary uh, appointments with people. How can people reach you? They can reach me. Uh, email would be roger at rogermangan.com or my phone number 303 795 8855. And that is M-A-N-G-A-N. Roger Mangan, I wish you and yours a very happy new year and looking forward to working with you in 2023. Thank you and God bless. God bless you too and we'll be right back. 
can't believe I just scratched that car. Find my insurance card. Dude, what do you have in this glove box? Ew, are these socks dirty? Oh, forget about the socks. I need my insurance card. Just pull it up on the State Farm mobile app. But I can do that? Oh, hey, I can do that. Yep, it's called service. I can file a claim on here, too? Yeah, it's it's called service. Whoa, I can call my agent, too? It's called service. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. No matter how you define it, inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on and who is responsible. That is why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. She has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim could use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at KimMunson.com. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. Uh, we are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. I've got on the line with me Bill Federer. He is the founder of, of American Minute. You can find that at AmericanMinute.com, the author of many really terrific books that you can just learn so much about. Uh, Bill Federer, you were talking about free will, that, that God basically controls everything except he gave us free will. Because if we didn't have free will, we would just be robots, and what would it all matter, right? Right. So um, I ask people, what's the most important thing in your life? Uh, Well, somewhere at the top of the list, it's loving and being loved. And if we're made in God's image, could it be that loving and being loved is a big deal to God? Now, God doesn't need your love. He's not incomplete in any way, and your love somehow completes it. No, he's complete all by himself. He doesn't need your love, but he wants it. Parents don't need the love of their children, but they want it. And um, and so love, by definition, must be voluntary. The moment it's forced, it evaporates. And, um, and I look up the word angel in the King James Bible. It appears 289 times. Never once does it say the angels love God. They worship him, they glorify him, they praise him. They're heavenly witnesses. Jesus said, I'll confess you before the angels. Um, they smite God's enemies. They deliver his judgments. They deliver his messages, right, to Mary, the mother, mm-hmm. and Jesus, and to Prophet Daniel. But in no verse does it say, use the word love to describe an angel's relationship with God. 
the word love is used all throughout man's relationship with God. Angels are not made in God's image, and Jesus did not die on the cross for angels. They're immensely brilliant and mighty and powerful, but they're made for a purpose. We're not very mighty. We're not very smart. Why would God make us? What purpose could we possibly offer a being that could create the universe? Really nothing except our love, and love must be freely given for it to be love. So again, in this context of everything he controls, he created one little thing. He doesn't control your will. And... Um, and so, pe- so he has to hide himself behind his creation because he is so powerful and so awesome that if you had one glimpse of him, your immediate response would be uh, to worship him, and it would be an involuntary thing. And he's like, I can do involuntary all universe and eternity long. I'm interested in this, this voluntary thing. And so um, people say, well, if God's real, why doesn't he show himself? Because the moment he shows himself, your free will's gone. And the presence of such power is going to be an instinctive response. And, and the same hiding of himself that allows us to have free will necessitates that we have faith. And um, so he makes us as free will beings. He hides himself so we have the opportunity to use our free will. You know, I um, uh, talk about the Hubble Space Telescope, and in 2003 they focused it on a spot in the sky where there was nothing. It was the size of a grain of sand held out at arm's length against the night sky. Teeny spot, nothing there. After 11 days, they developed the images. In that spot was 10,000 galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars in each galaxy. And with light travels in waves, with blue being the fastest and red being the slowest, they saw the red shift, which means these galaxies are moving away from us. And they now estimate that the observable universe is 93 billion light years across, and get this, still expanding at the speed of light. And um, the largest star they found is Stevenson 2-18. It's a super gas giant. It's so large, if you were to place it in our solar system, it would engulf the orbit of Saturn, the sixth planet from the sun. We're the third planet from the sun. Could you imagine one single star that enormous? And God made it all, and he made you. What could you possibly offer this being that's so powerful? Uh, really nothing except right. your love, and love must be voluntary. And, um, and so, so he creates us as free will beings, hides himself so we have the opportunity. But the third thing is he's just and he cannot help it. He's a God of rules, order, law. Everything he makes is laws of planetary motion, laws of gravity, laws of optics, laws of physics, laws of planet. You know, everything's laws, and he has laws for human behavior. We just have the choice as to whether or not to follow the laws. But he's a God of laws. And in, in, in legal terms, that's called being just. And so he can't change his nature. He's just, which means he loved everything he created, but he can never be loved back. Because the moment we step out of line, he'd still have to judge us. Because if he didn't judge us, he'd be giving consent to our sin. And if he gives consent to the sin, he's denying himself. So he came up with a plan. And the plan is his own son would become the lamb and take the judgment for our sins. So Abraham and Isaac are going to the top of Mount Moriah. Isaac says, Father, we have the wood for the sacrifice. We have the coals for the sacrifice, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, Son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And it has a double meaning. I'm trusting God will have a ram up in the bush, which he did, caught by its head in a bush of thorns, like a crown of thorns. But the other meaning is God will provide himself as the sacrifice. And that's what happened. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten Son of God, in a plan of redemption that was hidden from ages. It was a hidden plan. It says if the princes of this world had known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. The Apostle Paul called it the mystery of salvation. And so in this hidden plan, Jesus became man, 
He became the lamb, and he took the judgment of a just God upon himself. You know, you read the book of Revelation, and it's hard to understand, but one thing seems clear. It's God that's pouring out the vials of judgment. You thought, why is that? Well, he's a just God. He has to judge every sin he missed along the way. So you can't get 10,000 years into eternity and say, God, there were these sins back then, and you never judged them. And were you silent? Were you giving consent to a sin? Is there something unjust about you that we didn't know about? Uh-uh. It says, the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever, and the angels cry out, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Nobody's going to question for the rest of eternity that God judged sin. But in that sense, Jesus had the book of Revelation judgment poured out on his head. He took the judgment for everything that everybody would ever do upon himself on the cross. And it, he experienced it as if what the Bible says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. He experienced that day on the cross as if it was a thousand years. And, you know, I have a degree in accounting, so I like things that balance. You take an eternal being, Jesus, who's innocent, suffering for a finite, limited period of time. It's equal to all of us finite, limited beings who are guilty, suffering for an eternal period of time. Interesting. Super interesting. Let me say that again. An eternal being who's innocent, suffering for a finite period of time, is equal to all of us finite beings who are guilty, suffering for an eternal period of time. Infinity times finite equals finite times infinity. An unlimited being suffering for a limited period of time is equal to all of us limited beings suffering for an unlimited period of time. Jesus literally suffered the equivalent of eternal damnation in all of our places, and he's the only one who could have done it. And out of love for the Father and out of love for you and me, he became the Lamb. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This way, you and I can approach this universe-creating, omnipotent, all-powerful, and all-just God and not have to worry about being judged. The lamb is his idea. The lamb is his plan to love us without having to judge us. It's it's such a remarkable story. Bill, what do you say to people, but what about the people that died before uh, Christ came? What do you say to them, about them? Well, you read the law, there's two things that stand out, law and the lamb. So there's lots and lots of laws, and uh, and God knows that the people are going to break him, and so he has the sacrifice already prescribed for, okay, when you break this law, here's the sacrifice. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament is pointing toward Christ. So they had faith in the Lamb to come. We have faith in the Lamb that came, but salvation is through the Lamb. Okay. I even go back a little further to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. So, so Adam and Eve sinned and hid from God. So have you ever sinned against anybody? You sort of don't want to be around the right. person you've sinned against. Right. You're talking about them behind their back, and you look up, and there they are, and you're like, oh, I'm oh. Feel awkward. And, um, and so when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God's still wanted to walk with them in the garden, but they wanted to get away and hide. So it's not so much that God sends people to hell. It's once people sin against God, it's their own conscience that makes them want to get away from God. It's like two magnets, and one of them turns. The other one wants, the first one wants to touch, but the second one wants to get away. And so Adam and Eve said, we blew it, we have to do something to make ourselves acceptable to God again, they put on fig leaves. That was the beginning of false religions. Man coming up with man's idea how to make man acceptable to God. Did the fig leaves work? No. And then this little line, God made Adam and Eve coats of skin. How do you make a coat of skin? Mm, Something has to die. You think God went to the other side of the garden, killed an animal, and brought Adam and Eve some nice tailored outfits or do you think maybe he killed the animal right in front of them? And they witnessed the first death ever, right? Creation would have just happened. This is the first thing to die. And Adam and Eve are watching this innocent animal go through the pangs of dying, and they're thinking to themselves, we're the ones that sin, but this innocent animal is the one that's dying. 
And God wanted to make it really clear the animal was dying in their place, that right in front of them, he strips the skin off the animal and he puts it on their naked bodies. Maybe it still had a little blood on it. They were covered in the blood. And so for the rest of their lives, they're wearing the skin of the animal that they watched die in their mm-hmm. place. The lamb slain from the foundations of the world. And whenever God sees him, he sees him clothed with the skin of the lamb. And so Adam and Eve tell Cain and Abel, Cain decides he's going to worship God, but he does an offshoot of the church of the fig leaf. He starts the church of the fruits and the nuts. Uh, Cain's <laughs> is a religion of works. And we know it's works because God told Adam, the ground is cursed for your sake and you'll bring forth fruit by the sweat of your brow. So Cain's bringing forth fruit out of the ground. He's sweating. He's, he's working. He's trying to work his way to heaven. Does God accept it? No. And then Abel does the trusting in the land thing. It's this picture God's on one side, we're on the other side. Our sins separate us from God, and the lamb pays for the sin. And so Noah offered lambs. Abraham offered lambs. Moses had every family in Israel kill a lamb, put the blood over the doorpost of the house. The high priest brings the blood of the lamb into the holy hole. He sprinkles it on the mercy seat. The blood actually changed it from a judgment seat into a mercy seat. And then, you know, Solomon has a thousand of them sacrificed when he dedicates the temple. Finally, John the Baptist points to Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So God's on one side, we're on the other side, our sin separates from God, and the Lamb pays for the sin. And, and that, Bill, that's where everything changed then, from the blood sacrifice that they used to uh, offer. I mean, I can't really imagine that now in 2022 America, going to church and doing that. But so it was with John the Baptist, Baptist when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. That's where all of that changed then, Correct. Right, and so Jesus was the Lamb, and he, uh, remember, you know, there's, the theologians get into the one gospel where um, he rises from the dead, appears to Mary, and he says, she's going to hug him, and she says, don't touch me yet, I've not yet ascended to the Father. Why is that? Because when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, nobody could touch him. Right. And he's dressed in white, he's carrying the blood of the sacrifice, which in this case, Jesus is carrying his own blood, and he puts it on the mercy seat. And it says that Jesus is forever our advocate with the Father. Now, you know, it says the day with the Lord is is a thousand years, so Jesus experienced that day on the cross as if it was a thousand years. But there's another verse in the Bible that says a thousand years is as yesterday to the Lord when it is past. So to God the Father, Jesus' death on the cross just happened. I mean, it was two days ago. I mean, Jesus' death will always be fresh in the mind of God the Father. So when we're praying in the name of Jesus, God the Father pictures Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, Bill, this is so interesting. I'm talking with Bill Federer, and uh, he is the founder of American Minute. You can find uh, his books and information at AmericanMinute.com. We're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, uh, want to recognize the USMC Memorial Foundation. Uh, Paula Sarl, she is a Vietnam veteran and a Gold Star wife, and she and her team are raising money for the Marine Memorial Remodel. And my friends, it's so important to honor those that have given their lives or been willing to give their lives for our freedom and our liberty and uh, to know their stories and to archive those stories. That's why we do America's Veterans Stories uh, show as well. But you can help them by going to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. We will be right back with Bill Federer. 
The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national level. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Monson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And we've worked really hard recording these special shows for you for Christmas week. And thrilled to uh, kick this off with Bill Fetter. He is the uh, founder of AmericanMinute.com, and, and it is a, a minute that can be heard on many different um, uh, outlets here in the United States and, and right here on Crawford Broadcasting as well, and then the author of many really important books also. Bill, changing things just a little bit, Mary, uh, and I think about Christmas, Christmas Eve, uh, and, and, of course, how tradition has it is the shepherds, which were on the low rung of the economic ladder, and then the kings on the opposite and all bowing down to him. But I I know this is so human of me, but I am thinking of Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. She is clearly pregnant. And I'm I'm just thinking a human component. It's like Joseph you didn't make reservations. I mean, I, I, I know that's probably in a way almost sacrilegious to say it, but I'm thinking I, I would be not super understanding. I guess, I guess uh, that she's, you know, her faith and inspiration, the Magnificat, all that. But my human component is I would like, Joseph, you didn't make reservations. I can't believe it. What's your thoughts on that? Um, well, the uh, Julius Caesar conquers the whole known world and he is basically instituting a one world government and uh his nephew octavius takes over he's augustus caesar and something about one world government legal people they want to track everybody and so for the first time <laughs> we see ever, that now <laughs> they, they institute a global tracking system called the census it had never really been done before and it it showed that you were in you were basically owned by the emperor and um, and so everybody for the this isn't something that they're used to doing. Everybody has to go to the home of their birth uh, to be counted. 
and um, and so this this was not like a the the three times a year when they would go to Jerusalem for the festivals, right? Uh, and they did um, make plans for that, and um, and they would travel in a family group, you know, when Jesus is twelve years old, you know, and they right. all he's with the, uh, um, and so they've been doing that for you know over like fifteen hundred years, or at least a thousand years. Um, but uh, but the census was a new thing, and so that's why okay. it was chaotic. Um, now, it is interesting, you mentioned uh, Mary being pregnant. Uh, the date of December 25th, this is a, a, a sort of a detective story. Um, the Jews did not celebrate birthdays. Uh, it was considered pagan. And matter of fact, uh, in the Middle East and Far East today, uh, many countries still do not celebrate birthdays. Um, in, in Turkey, for example, we met somebody, and my wife asked the lady when her birthday was, and she had to go in the other room and pull out some papers, and then she came out, oh, this is my birthday. I mean, she didn't even have it memorized. And then uh, we went to Korea. My son taught over there, and uh, everybody in the country turns a year older on January 1st. Oh. It's like um, they don't keep track of your individual birthdays, and so the Jews did not. It was considered pagan. And so it wasn't until the Greeks started converting to Christianity, the Gentiles, and then you get around to the third century that people are like, hey, when was Jesus' birth? Prior to that, the Passover was the big day. And the, the Romans uh, began to use the solar calendar, and the um, Jews used the lunar calendar. And so the, the date of Passover would sort of switch earlier or later in the spring, could be any day of the week. And so the Christians would ask the Jews, hey, when's Passover this year? Um, and so in the third century, when the interest was on when was Jesus born, it is this detective story. So the Gospel of Luke says that um, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, and so Herod dies in 4 B.C., so now we got the time frame. It says there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Of course, this is John the Baptist's father. And what's this priestly division of Abijah? Well, King David divided the Levite priests into 24 groups, and each group took two weeks a year, six months apart, where their division was in charge of doing all the ministerial work in the temple. And uh, But nobody knew when the uh, division of Abijah served until they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and some excavations in Caesarea in 1962 by the Hebrew University Department of Archaeology, and they found the Order of the Levites. And lo and behold, Abijah is family group number eight, and Jehoi Arab is family group number one. Why is that important? Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. on the Hebrew month on the ninth day of Av, A.V., but that translates to August 4th of 70 A.D. And the Jewish uh, historians make note that Jehoi Arab was the family group that was on duty when the temple was destroyed. And so if, if Jehoi Arab's family was servicing the temple on August 4th, the first week, and that's the first group, and Abijah is the eighth group, so eight weeks after that would be the last week of September. So that would have been the week that Zechariah's in the temple. It's an important week. That's the week of Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, when they bring the blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Holy of Holies. It's also at the end of the week, the Feast of Tabernacles, so that would explain why people were waiting outside for Zechariah. The angel appears to him, tells him that he's going to have a son, and he doesn't believe it, so the angel strikes him dumb so he wouldn't speak doubt. Uh, his wife conceives, and so the Byzantine Rite Church celebrates September 23rd as the conception of John the Baptist. 
and so does a second century work called the Proto-Evangelium of St. James. So if September 23rd is when John is conceived, the Gospel of Luke says that the angel appears to Mary, tells her she's going to conceive of the Holy Spirit, and your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month. So if John the Baptist is conceived September 23rd, six months later would have been, you know, the last week of March. And so the traditional church date for the Annunciation, when the angel announces to Mary um, that she's going to have the baby Jesus, the traditional date for that is March 25th. And so why is that important? Nine months later is December 25th. And so there's there's a good... Um, logical line for December 25th. People say, I thought that was Saturnalia and it was to replace the Roman holiday. No, that's the winter solstice and that's December 21st, 22nd. It's the shortest day of the year. It's not December 25th, right? So it did not, was not chosen to replace Saturnalia and so forth. And then they say, well, the sheep, uh, how can they be in the field if it's wintertime? Well, the climate of Jerusalem is like Flagstaff, Arizona. It gets to around 40 degrees at nighttime. And there would have been sheep because they had daily sacrifices in the temple. And so um, so there's reasonable, I'm not being dogmatic, because some of these old calendars are a little confusing. Um, but there's a, a legitimate line of reasoning that, indeed, December 25th could very well have been the actual date of Christ's birth. Boy, that is fascinating, because I... You know, I think sometimes it's, it's, we just take it that for granted. And so it is so interesting that there's been a, actual calculations on that. What about the, uh, they end up in uh, a stable, manger, and, and that is so significant, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, that's where, you know, Jesus is the Lamb of God, and it's humble, and um, I um, uh you know, one of the things I, I bring out is, uh, as I have in the book I wrote, it's called There Really is a Santa Claus, the History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. There's all the scriptures that talk about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the scriptures that talk about um, uh, that, uh, oh, for example, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made like, oh, okay, well, where was Jesus in the book of Genesis then? And then you read through the book of Genesis, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. And then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And God said that the waters under heaven be gathered together. And God said that the earth brings forth. Nothing was created without God saying. Well, what do you say but words? So you have God the Father, and you have the Word, right? And then originally... There was uh, the Holy Spirit uh, that was hovering over the face of the deep, and when the Word was spoken, the Holy Spirit moved and brought forth life and so forth. And um, I did a little study in the New Testament. If you look up scriptures, the prepositions, the little connected words, when you see a verse that refers to God the Father, the prepositions most often are to, unto, of, and from. When you pray, pray to your Father. Jesus said, I came down from the Father of lights, right? Um, And then it says... uh, the scriptures that refer to Jesus, the prepositions most often used are by and through. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. And then the prepositions used in verses with the Holy Spirit are in and with. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, or they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I, I'm not 
a theologian, but I was thinking of a way of explaining it. And um, it's like a football game. And God the Father is like the coach, and it's his will that's going to take place on the field. He's like got the marker board with the circles and the arrows in the locker room, right? But how does his will actually get onto the field? The quarterback. He runs to the sideline, gets to play, and then he comes to earth, right? He's dressed in the same uniform as everybody else on the field, right? The word became, what's the one player that gets to speak? The quarterback. He calls the plays. And originally there was one player, not other than that, is the Holy Spirit. And when the word was spoken, the Holy Spirit moved. But now we're all players filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're on the field carrying out the will of our coach, God the Father, that's communicated to us through our quarterback, Jesus. That is absolutely fascinating, Bill. And uh, we've got one more segment, so we're going to go to break. I'm talking with Bill Fetter. You can find him at AmericanMinute.com. And another great sponsor of the show is Hooters Restaurants. They have five locations, Loveland, Aurora, Westminster, Lone Tree, and Colorado Springs. And they have all kinds of specials for lunch or happy hour Monday through Friday. Wednesdays are Wings Day. You buy 20 wings, you get additional 10 for free. And uh, they've been sponsors of both the shows for quite some time. And it's a very interesting story. When I was on city council, uh, I have I have it all at KimMunson.com. But it's really a story about freedom and free markets and capitalism. And so check that out. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Bill Fetter. Every family needs a healthcare team that has your child's best interest as the priority, and Roots Medical is proud to offer exactly that. At Roots Medical, we strive to empower and educate both parent and child about the importance of gut health, how to implement healthy changes in the home, and of course, all of the benefits that come with a fully optimized immune system. Same day and sickness appointments are available and easy to schedule. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your healthcare concerns. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. You want a gun, ammo, and outstanding training, so Franktown Firearms is the right place for you. The trained staff is available for your questions and will give you the freedom to browse their large supply of firearms and fully stocked ammunition without any pressure. Your comfort level in the store is their priority. You'll get expert answers whether you're buying or not every time you visit the store. You want a knowledgeable gunman, not just a salesperson, when you're thinking about buying a firearm or learning how to use one. You can trust the staff at Franktown Firearms. They don't make commissions on any sale, so you know they are looking out for your best interest. They're sure that you will leave with a smile because no matter what your needs are, they will help you to be confident in your decisions and purchases. Their low tax rate and at or below MSRP cost will keep you smiling. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown today. That's klzradio.com slash franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. Americans Veteran Stories with Kim Munson. Sunday afternoons at 3 here on KLZ 560 AM and KLZ 100.7. 
And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And so excited this uh, this week between Christmas and New Year's. We are pre-recording these very special shows, and it is always a special show when we have Bill Fetter on. You can find him at AmericanMinute.com. He is a great author, and uh, AmericanMinute.com is broadcast on many outlets throughout the country and, of course, right here on Crawford Broadcasting as well. Bill Fetter, our last segment, uh, let's talk a little bit about about St. Nicholas now. It's a a fascinating story. So what should people know about St. Nicholas? Well, I put together a book. It's called There Really Is a Santa Claus, and uh, Santa Claus is, is the Dutch pronunciation of St. Nicholas. And he's the most popular Greek Orthodox saint. He is to the Greeks what St. Peter is to the Catholics, what St. Nicholas, excuse me, St. Patrick is to the Irish. He's, there's lots of stories about him. And so uh, he was imprisoned under Emperor Diocletian, and then he gets out and he preaches against paganism. Nearby was the temple to Diana at Ephesus. And they is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it had temple prostitutes, and it was like the Las Vegas of the Mediterranean. He preaches against it. They eventually tear it down. They do exposure of unwanted infants, the Romans did. If the mother bore the child, laid it at the father's feet. If the father didn't pick the child up, the mother had to put it in a basket, set it outside, let it die. And it was their version of abortion. Well, Nicholas preaches against that. And then there's the Arian heresy. A guy named Arius said Jesus was a little less than God. He was a created being, and... The Visigoths convert to Arianism, and it's splitting not just the church, but the Roman Empire. So Constantine orders all the bishops to pay for him to meet at Nicaea. They settle it. They write the Nicaean Creed. And the tradition is that Nicholas was there, and he slapped Arius across the face for starting starting the heresy. So Jolly Old St. Nick had a little temper. Um, Another story was um, a corrupt governor was going to execute some prisoners, some soldiers, to cover up his corruption. Like we're familiar with uh, certain politicians and uh, former associates who mysteriously get killed. And, um, and so Nicholas hears about this and goes down to the execution square, grabs the sword out of the executioner's hand, throws it down, and then in front of everybody by the Holy Spirit tells the corrupt stuff the governor was doing, and then he repents and so forth. Um, he dies on December 6, 343 A.D., and these Greeks would leave presents for each other on the anniversary of his death. And um, uh, the... Uh, Vladimir the Great converts to Greek Orthodox Christianity in 988 A.D., adopts Nicholas as the patron saint of Russia, and then Muslims invade, and they destroy churches, and that's when they move the bone to St. Nicholas over to Italy, and uh, all of his gift-giving traditions uh, become so popular that St. Francis of Assisi, sort of in protest, comes up with the nativity scene, the crest scene. So the idea of, oh, is Christmas too materialistic? We need to get back to the real reason. Well, that is the same thing that uh, St. Francis had. So he, the Jesus, Mary, Joseph, donkeys in the manger, right? They went back to St. Francis, 1223 A.D. And then you have the Reformation, 1517, Martin Luther, and he ends all the saints' days. By this time, there's a saints' day for every day of the year. Churches are filled full of relics and side altars, and he considers this a distraction. He clears that out. But the Germans liked the gift-giving that was associated with the December 6th Nicholas Day. And so he moves all the gift-giving to December 25th and says all gifts come from the Christ child. And the German pronunciation of Christ child is Christkindle, like kindergarten, kinder care, 
kin that means child, and Chris is Christ. And over the years, Chris Kindle got pronounced Chris Kringle. So Chris Kringle is really Chris Kindle, which means Christ child. And then you have the tree. We're all familiar with St. Patrick evangelizing Ireland, but there was a St. Boniface who evangelized the Germans. So the Germans worshipped Thor. That's where you get the word Thor's Day or Thursday. And he lived in an oak tree in Geismar, Germany. And St. Boniface takes an axe and chops down the oak tree. And then he points to a little evergreen tree, and he says, let this be the, the tree of the Christ child. See how it points toward heaven. Its leaves are evergreen. And it's sort of in a triangle, like the shape of the, to remind him of the Trinity, sort of like St. Patrick used the three-leaf clover to teach these illiterate druids about the Trinity. And, uh, and so the, the Christmas tree is symbolic of the Germans converting to Christianity. And in Fritzlar, Germany, in the middle of town, there's a statue of a big stump of an oak tree, and standing on it is St. Boniface holding an axe in one hand, and then with his other hand holding a church, because he brought the church to the Germans. And so Martin Luther is the one who put the candles in the branches of the tree, said it was like the sky above Bethlehem on the night of Christ's birth. Uh, but then we fast forward to England, and Henry VIII brings the Reformation, not because he had a spiritual experience, just wanted another wife, and the Pope wouldn't recognize his divorce. So during Henry VIII's time, he brings back an old Roman holiday called Saturnalia, because Britain used to be a Roman colony. And Saturn was the god of feasting and plenty and merriment. And if you ever saw the, the Christmas Carol with Charles Dickens, mm-hmm. there's the spirit of Christmas present. And he's this guy with a wreath in his hair, a gobble of wines, a beard, and a happy ho-ho party guy. And you're looking at him, asking yourself, who is this guy? He, he sort of looks like Santa, but he also sort of looks like some Roman god. Well, that's who it was. It was Saturn, but they Christianized him, called him Father Christmas. They couldn't call him St. Nicholas because saints were outlawed. And, uh, and during Henry VIII's time, Christmas became a drinking, partying, carousing, chasing women, you know. And so very much like Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras used to be a religious day. It's when you would fast 40 days before Easter, and now it's a lewd party. That's sort of what happened with Henry VIII. And so when the Puritans came on the scene, they outlawed Christmas. Uh, Cotton Mather, a Puritan leader, said, Can God be honored by mad mirth and hard drinking? fit for a Saturn or a Bacchus. He says, certainly the birth of our Savior cannot be pleased by these hellish legions. And the Puritans even outlawed Shakespeare from mentioning God in his plays, and they eventually pulled Shakespeare's theater down. They were really strict. And so the Puritans founded Massachusetts and had a five-shilling fine for anybody caught celebrating Christmas. It wasn't until the Dutch came over uh, that they brought their Christmas traditions. And so the Dutch... uh, in Holland, they did a little take. You know how Catholics say Jesus, uh, excuse me, Peter's at the gate to heaven? Well, the, uh, the Dutch do a take on the book of Revelation, where Jesus will return at the end of the world to judge the living and the dead, riding a white horse. And the saints will come back with him, riding white horses. And St. Nicholas is one of the saints, so he'll be one of those riding a white horse. But he's so special, he gets to come back once a year for a little mini-judgment. A little checkup on the kids. Make sure they're on the right track. See who's naughty, see who's nice. And the Lamb's Book of Life and the Book of Works turns into the Book of the Naughty and the Nice. And angels, saints come from where? Heaven. Well, that turns into the North Pole. And the angels turn into the elves. And in Norway, they didn't have horses, and so he's riding a reindeer. And, um, and so the Dutch settled New Amsterdam, which becomes New York. And the first church they start, Battery Park, is the St. Nicholas Dutch Reformed Church. Oh, my God. And... Um, 
Then uh, you have in New York, Washington Irving. He gave us Rip Van Winkle, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, coined the term Gotham City. And he wrote Dietrich Knickerbocker's History of New York. And he says, now St. Nicholas visits us once a year, riding in his wagon over the treetops and dropping presents down chimneys. But he says he describes him not as a bishop, but dressed in a typical Dutch outfit of long trunk holes, leather belt, and so forth. And then in New York, 1823, you have a Anglican Hebrew professor. His family donated land for the seminary named Clement Moore. There's a park in New York at 10th Avenue, 22nd Street, called the Clement Moore Park. And the poem is, it goes not for Christmas and all through the house, not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. Oh my but gosh. he's shrunk in size. He's a little right jolly plump old elf. Uh-huh. Uh, then you have Civil War. Thomas Nast is the illustrator that gave us the Republican elephant Democrat mule. He's the first one to put a North Pole sign behind a picture of Nicholas. And then you have Coca-Cola. Right. Uh, hires Haddon Sunblum. He gave us the Quaker Oats Man and Aunt Jemima Syrup. And he does a, a painting for 30 years in a row of Nicholas drinking Coke and Coca-Cola Pioneers mass marketing. So that's the image that sticks. But you go back to the beginning. There really was a guy in the third century who loved Jesus and gave away his money to help the poor. And that's who we remember. Oh, my gosh. Bill Fetter, this has just been fascinating. I thank you so much for sharing all of this knowledge with me and with our listeners. Thank you so much. I wish you a very Merry Christmas this Christmas season and a very prosperous New Year. Well, Merry Christmas to all the listeners and to all a good night. (laughs) And so with that, my friends, today be grateful and read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas mistruths or misconceptions and it is getting us into a world of hurt is it freedom or is it force let's have a conversation indeed and welcome back to the kim munson show this is our number two be sure and check out our website that is kim munson m-o-n-s-o-n.com sign up for our weekly newsletter and you will get first look at our upcoming guests as well as our most recent essays that comes out on Sunday afternoons. You can email me at Kim at Kim And thank you to all of you who contribute and support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And I thank each and every one of you for listening. You're each treasured and valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, we were made for this moment. And I work with a group of amazing people. And that is producer Luke, producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, and Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. We have worked diligently to pre-record shows, very special shows for you for this Christmas week. And uh, I'm very excited to have on the line with me Nanette Holt. And Nanette 
covers a wide range of issues for the Epic Times, mostly in Georgia and her home state of Florida. She started as a journalist in a com- competitive daily newspaper market and later launched a community newspaper in a geographic area ignored by other media. She spent many years writing and editing for a variety of national and international magazines and has been hired to coach best-selling authors for book publishers. When she's not chasing news, Nadette enjoys the cattle ranch life with her husband, three children, and far too many horses, goats, cats, and dogs. <laughs> Nanette All Holt. True. Oh, I love it. I love it. Welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. And I've got to say, I love the mission of your show. Wow. Oh, thank you. If all, if all shows had that kind of mission, we would be in a, in a really good place right now. Well, I think I, we're headed into a better place in our country. I really do. Well, I think that we are because of the work that you do, the Epic Times, what we're doing here. I am encouraged. We're in, you know, Nana, we are in tumultuous times right now, but I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged. I mean, there's a big fight right now against good and evil, but uh, I'm, yeah. I'm encouraged for sure. So, but it's, it's Christmas season. So let's talk about some heartwarming stories. And you've got a really special one regarding a uh, police department uh, in New York, correct? That is correct. This police department in New York, uh, three years ago, had, a, and this is in Lake Placid, New York, I should say. I think they call it a village. Um, three years ago, they had a secret Santa approach the department and ask if officers would be willing to just kind of be on the lookout for citizens uh, that might be able to really put a little extra money to good use. It's a little bit of money. And uh, handed out, you know, gave the department this money as a donation, and officers really enjoyed passing out envelopes with $25 in them. Sometimes it was during a traffic stop. person may have deserved a ticket pulled over for that reason then the officer just had a had a just felt led he would give a second chance give some mercy and a little holiday cash and you know the the officers were so touched by that i'm I actually I'm tearing up a little thinking about it uh, how much that means to the officers i i've talked to other police departments that do something similar and they say you know the officers are often with people at the very lowest point yes. in their lives there's been a tragedy, or they're having to, you know, deliver some really bad news, or um, they're they're having to, you know, arrest someone who's made some really bad choices. Whatever the case may be, this allows them to share a joyful moment, you know, and to spread hope. So, anyway, it went over so big three years ago that this um, secret Santa has rounded up some other secret Santas and anonymously donated more money. They wanted bigger handouts. They wanted them to be at least a hundred dollars. So now Lake Placid is still going around, and at the officer's discretion, they are passing out second chances and and hope with some cash. So I just think that's really cool. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about a a police department down my way that does something similar in Ocala, Florida. Um, And by the way, they also do this in in Fremont, uh, Nebraska, Walhalla, South Carolina. I'm sure there are other places, but... I was able to watch a video of these officers, you know, had, had their body cam running when they were passing out uh, Christmas gifts in this way last year. And there was a gentleman that was so overcome with emotion. And it was really a beautiful video. And if your listeners can find that online, it would be wonderful. But this young man had been working all day 
to earn $100 so he could go after work and get medicine that he needed. Well, he got stuck in traffic, and he just wasn't going to make it to the pharmacy. So he took a shortcut across the parking lot, which is a driving no-no, and he couldn't get a, a ticket for that. Officer Simon pulled him over. Why are you in a hurry, sir? The man told him, I'm trying to get to the pharmacy. i got to get my medicine. And the, and the officer, can you hear me? I'm so choked up. I'm, you're making me choked up. I, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I can hear you. <laughs> the officer handed him $100 and told him to go and get his medicine. And it was just, the man was so overcome by the kindness. And uh, another officer pulled over a woman, walked up to her, her window, and saw that she had an IV in her arm. And she said she had just left the hospital. And it was a really rough time. And he handed her $100. And she was so overcome. Uh, again, you know, just, it's not a good moment when you see those lights in your, in your rearview mirror. Right. And then to have it be turned around with kindness and maybe some help that you really needed, just miraculously, I'm sure is, is how it's received by a lot of people. I love that story. I just, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that does encourage me for the future of our country. Because that's still who we are as a country, I think. It, it really is. And we each can do something. Uh, I, I It was a few Christmases ago, and I was um, down in Denver in uh, North Cherry Creek, and, and they have parking meters. And I don't know what possessed me, but two uh, women drove up behind me to park behind me. And, and the parking meter, there was um, it was for my car and then for their car as well. And for some reason, I just decided to go ahead and just put some money in the meter for them. And I came back after lunch, and I had the nicest note from them. And uh, it was, um, it is, it's just kind of the American thing that that we we really can do and do do. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And it, it's still happening. And, you know, a lot. It, 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 no act of kindness is not worthy of doing. You know, and I just think that people see so much bad news happening, but they have to remember who we are as a country. And we're those kind of people that, that put, you know, put money in the meter for someone else or, you know, maybe pick up the tab at Starbucks when they're going through the line for the person behind them. You know, that, that's, that's who we are. And I just don't want people to lose sight of that. Right. As we head into 2023, I just, I hope people will remember that and act on that, you know. Well, and I, 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 and that's why it's so important <clears throat> that we tell these stories, and that in fact uh, that we that we remember that, and 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 it's just it is it's just something uh, for the season. It's something, uh, I guess, not just for the season, but it is you know little acts of kindness are are so important. And I really think even with all the news that's out there and all of this. Um, agenda to, to try to divide us. Uh, I, I really, I am encouraged as we go through 2023 because I think that people are realizing that agenda for what it is and realizing that uh, a little kindness goes a long way, Nanette. Absolutely. I do think it's important that for people to know what's going on. I, I think it's, it's time for us to wake up and take responsibility for what's going on. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, shows like yours and, and our company epic times i'm glad that we're out there spreading the truth i just don't want people to to wallow in the bad stuff you know it's just there's too much good out there and right. we are all fighting this, this evil you know we our company stands for truth and tradition that's what we want to present is is truth and we want to preserve that tradition the the things that make our country what it is and so 
Uh, it's really a privilege to be a part of that. And I'm, I'm just so honored to be on your show. I thank you for having me to talk about things like this. It's wonderful to be able to talk about good news. Oh, it, it, it is. And to your point, though, the Epic Times is uh, I, is a very trusted news source. And I've had a number of people on connected through the Epic Times. And I, I really think that it, it is... Uh, kind of what journalism is really supposed to be. If it's an opinion piece, they tell you it's an opinion piece. If it's a human interest story piece, you know it's a human interest story piece. If it's a news piece, they try to give the news uh, as unbiased as as they possibly can. And so I really do appreciate the Epic Times. I'm talking with Danette Holt, and uh, we just had this really wonderful story about the secret Santa of these police departments. And, and this is not only probably good, Nanette, for the people that are receiving on the receiving end, but our law enforcement has been under... Uh, a, a rhetoric attack and attack uh, for you know the last few years, and so it's got to do these officers' hearts uh, good as well in getting to be a secret Santa. Oh, absolutely! And, and you know there are Grinches out there who will say, "Oh, this is terrible! You should use that money for other things." But people need to remember this is coming from the generosity of people in the community that say, "Hey, I want to build a bridge here. I want these officers to enjoy this moment." So. I love that. I love that. So we're going to go to break. I'm talking with Nanette Holt, and we'll, she sent some other really interesting human interest stories as well. So we will talk about that. Before we do that, though, I uh, want to talk about a great sponsor of mine. They're new sponsors, and that is the Roger Mangan um, State Farm Insurance Group. And Roger knows that life can be challenging. It's the Mangan's team's mission to maximize your financial security as you manage the risks of everyday life. So call Roger Mangan at 303 for more information, like a good neighbor, Roger Mangan's team is there. This is called service. You hook me up with auto and renters. Props to my insurance mentor. You made it easy to cover my bed in a box and my extensive collection of clocks. You know, I find it kind of funny that you also save me money. You've got that good neighbor charm. Give it up for State Farm. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national level. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Monson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. I heard the bells on Christmas Day Their old familiar carols play 
And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And uh, very pleased to be pre-recording these shows for you. They're all very special shows. And our guest today for this hour number two is Nanette Holt. And she covers a wide range of issues for the Epic Times, mostly in Georgia and in her home state of Florida. Uh, Nanette, the last segment, the story about the Secret Santas and these police officers, is was you had me close to tears on that. Uh, but you said <laughs> <laughs> the next one is a, an interesting story about the piano guys. So tell us about that. Oh, the piano guys. I'm going to treat your listeners. If they don't know about the piano guys, this is going to be one of the best things they've heard in a long time. And, uh, the piano guys are just a... Uh, four middle-aged dads, they call themselves kind of dorky dads, and they started uh, playing together years ago. I think it's been 11 or 12 years. I've got to check my notes, but we're about to have a piece. You're getting a a, a sneak peek. We're about to have a piece on them. I was able to go to Georgia to one of their concerts. They sell out concert venues all over the country. They had taken about a two-year break because of COVID, and then I got to see them recently, and I saw them also in April, Maryland, this is one of the most positive, uplifting, entertaining entertainment options I've ever experienced. And I've, I used to review concerts. I've seen a lot of concerts, a lot of different genres of music. But I tell you what, when you go to a Piano Guys concert, you're going to laugh. You may shed a little tear, um, a sentimental tear. Uh you're just going to be blown away by the musical artistry. It, these guys are amazing. The piano guys aren't just piano players. We've got a piano player who's kind of the beginning of everything, John Schmidt. Um, and he teamed up years ago, kind of by accident, with uh, a man by the name of Stephen Sharp Nelson. He's a cellist. And the two of them together on stage are like nothing you've ever seen. I mean, it. Truly, I mean, who would think this would be just a, a mind-blowing concert experience to hear about a piano and a cellist, right? But uh, it, it's just, they're visual, the music's incredible, it's funny, it's touching. People need to go see these folks. They, they, they will be so glad they did. Well, and in the information that was sent over to me, it, it says that they have over 2 billion YouTube views. Is that is that really B with a billion? Isn't that hard to believe? Well, I think it's so. It's two billion um, of like streaming. People have streamed them with, through whichever you know mm-hmm. platform they're using. I think YouTube is one point six billion, and then some other you know millions on other platforms. But yeah, they're that entertaining. I mean, really and truly, I was introduced to this classical music, uh, kind of a. Uh, blend of pop music and classical music. I was introduced to them by my daughters, actually, our teenage daughters, or they were teenagers when they discovered the piano guys, a teenager and a preteen at that time. And, uh, and, and they got hooked. And so, you know, I heard it a lot in the car and, and then I got hooked. But it's, um, they do these amazing videos in the mon- most unexpected places. And, and when you watch the video, you, you find yourself wondering how did they get a grand piano on the Great Wall? Or, you know, how did they get a grand piano out in an abandoned Scottish castle? Um, they, they have these breathtaking videos that, like I said, put, put the 
instruments there in these unexpected places. They were going around and making videos, actually, at the Seven Wonders of the World. So they, it's, it's really quite an experience to watch. Um, they're so clever in their music. Um, definitely can see why a good percentage of the people on the planet have checked them out. And, and I would just encourage people to do it. It's uplifting. I mean, they're trying to preserve, again, that, that tradition of working hard to, to make something beautiful. And, you know, I think our, our culture has become quite focused on making things easy and making things convenient. And sometimes we're uh, persuaded not to put in the hard work uh, that is necessary. A lot of hard work goes into making this kind of music, but it is so worth it. And that's part of their message. You know, they're, they're, um, they talk about on stage how they want to inspire people to do difficult things, to persevere, and to get to the other side where they have something really beautiful and worthwhile for all that hard work. It's, it's tremendous. Now, is it just the two guys then, Nanette? Well, you know, <laughs> because of their genesis, there are actually four guys. So there's a music producer who used and a songwriter, uh, Al Vanderbeek, who used to uh, perform with them, but he didn't do very many songs. They, they mostly don't sing, but he, uh, he would do some vocalizing for them. Um, and some really interesting ways of presenting this music where they, you know, they have guys walking around a grand piano and everyone's doing something different to the piano at the same time um, making this music. And, and I don't want to give away too many surprises about their music. I want people to check it out. But the other one is Paul Anderson, and that's how they got together. Paul Anderson owned a, a music store called The Piano Guys, and he really wanted to find a way to sell some pianos. So when this pianist walked in one day, John Schmidt, he, he walked into this piano store in Utah and said, hey, um, can I practice on one of your pianos? i got to dig down the street. And I said, sure, go ahead. He heard this, this pianist and thought, hey, this guy's pretty good. What if we made videos and put him out on one of these newfangled uh, social media platforms? Maybe I could sell some pianos. Um, and that's kind of how that began. John and Stephen, the cellist, started playing together and, and um, Paul, the owner of the music store, said, well, we're going to call you guys the piano guys. We're going to make these videos, and maybe people buy a piano or two. Oh, my gosh, that is piano. funny. <laughs> that is truly, uh, talk about entrepreneurship. That is a great story. Yeah, these, these guys are, are pretty amazing. Um, and they've been, they formally introduced themselves to the world as the piano guys in 2011. So, as you can tell, I'm a pretty big fan just because I love positive things, and, and I just can't find a negative angle to this story. Um, well, miraculous story, actually. And that's the thing, Nanette. We need to be focusing on, uh, we talked about kindness in the first segment, and uh, good and overcoming uh, th- uh, obstacles that we have, and everybody does have obstacles. We recently talked about it on the show that I am not sure that we've we've um, raised a generation uh, with resiliency. And I realize that you can't teach people that they're a victim and resilient at the same time. There has to be a choice, and you can choose to not be a victim. I think 
all of us probably in our life at some point in time have been a victim of something, and we've probably also been on the other side as well. Um, and so we need to be teaching resiliency, positive things, creation. You know, the opposite of creation is destruction, and the opposite of resiliency, I would say, is victimhood. And so these messages, we need to hold them up so that people can find them, get find joy in it, and uh, particularly during this season, to be holding up these positive things. Because I think that there has been kind of this push to, to make entertainment darker. And um, and I was uncomfortable as I saw saw that happening with movies and all. And, right. and so I think this is really important that we uplift this. And of course, uh, we're seeing these drag queen uh, shows at, at libraries and all. And uh, we need to be making sure that we're holding up people like the piano guys versus some of the stuff that's going on in America. Well, I think that's such a smart point. I mean, these, if you focus, if you get really focused on these drag queen story hours, it's just going to destroy your spirit, I think. Um, but we have to remember that that's getting a lot of attention. But, you know, then you got the four, four nerdy dads or dorky dads, as they call themselves, going out and, and changing the world with beautiful music. And it's, um, it's very nourishing to the soul, I think, to focus on those positive things. So I'm really pleased to tell you guys about uh, all, all your listeners. I feel like they're family already, you guys. <laughs> I'm really pleased to tell your tell your listeners, and undoubtedly many of them are quite familiar with the piano guys, but I have to say of all the celebrity interviews I've ever done as a journalist, you know, sometimes you get into that situation where you're interviewing and you realize this person is not the person I always thought him or her to be. And it's disappointing. I kind of wish you'd never, as a journalist, I find myself wishing, oh, I wish I'd never kind of peeked behind the curtain and seen who this person really is. But I tell you what, this was the most fun to talk to these two men, uh, Stephen Sharp Nelson and John Schmidt, before their show in Atlanta uh, in November, because they're even more real and warm and funny and smart than I ever imagined. So, you know, as a piano guy fan, I was quite pleased. But, um, and uh, worthwhile to check them out. What's that? I said definitely worthwhile to check them out. Oh, most most definitely. And uh, is YouTube the best place, or do they have a website, or what's the best way to find them? Yeah, well, they do have a website, but I would go right to YouTube. Uh, search the piano guys in that YouTube search bar, and you're going to pop up a channel that's going to blow your mind. Okay, and again, that is the piano guys, and uh, I'm finding I, I'm seeing oh they have an official store and just all kinds of stuff going on here. So again, that's the piano guys, and uh, you can find their videos at YouTube. And now it's positive, so YouTube hasn't taken it down, right? <laughs> that was <laughs> <laughs> they stay out of politics uh, on their videos. So yeah, they, I think they're safe on YouTube right now, and they're probably uh, making YouTube quite a lot of money with <laughs> having a, um, a, a site. So I can't imagine why YouTube would take them down. Of course, that you know we see these platforms taking people down for the for the craziest reasons. But yeah, they should be safe there. Um, 
and it's a it's a guaranteed smile on your face. Okay, and so check out the Piano Guys at on YouTube and their website's pianoguys.com. I'm talk, uh, talking with Nanette Holt, and she is with the Epic Times and just a great human interest story. So we're going to go to break. But before we do that, I do want to give a shout-out to Paula Sarles and her team that are raising money for the USMC Memorial Foundation. And they're raising money to remodel the Marine Memorial out at 6th and Colfax. And Paula is the president of the USMC Memorial Foundation. She's a woman Marine and a Vietnam veteran's goal our wife. And uh, you can go to usmcmemorialfoundation.org to make a contribution. And they're in the money raising uh, phase right now. You can also buy a brick for one of the walkways that they'll have of service. And uh, that can honor your military service or your loved one's military service. It is a wonderful gift. So go to US, usmcmemorialfoundation.org. That's usmcmemorialfoundation.org. We'll be right back with Nanette Holt. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. No matter how you define it, inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on and who is responsible. That is why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. She has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim could use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at KimMunson.com. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And we look at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And my friends, socialism is not about free stuff. Uh, Free stuff is just the carrot to get people to vote for it. And socialism is a bad idea, which ultimately has to come down to force. Uh, We're pre-recording these shows for Christmas week uh, and just some really special guests. And I'm thrilled to have on the line with me Danette Holt. 
and she covers a wide uh, range of issues for the Epic Times, mostly in Georgia and her home state of Florida. And she's been a journalist for a long time. She launched a, uh, launched a community newspaper in a, a geographic area that did not have uh, coverage there and has uh, spent many years writing and editing for a variety of national and international magazines. And uh, Nanette, I love these human interest stories that we're talking about. Uh, the first segment we talked about secret santas uh police officers uh, there was a secret santa that has given money to police officers in some different jurisdictions to at their discretion give give out to people and if they uh, determine that there's a need and then the piano guys in this last segment let's talk about another one and that is the biltmore estate which is it's what outside Asheville, north carolina is that right it's in Asheville, yeah. It's beautiful, surrounded by the mountains. Oh, lovely state. Uh, my understanding is it's the largest private estate, uh, you know, private residence, I should say, in the country. Um, completed in 1895 by George Vanderbilt. It was his creation. 250-room chateau uh, that overlooks just an incredible, unblemished countryside. So, yeah, I was there over this past week, and it is so special for Christmas. I wanted to tell you all about it. So, now, how many rooms did you say it had? 250, and there is an amazing tour that you can take, kind of a self-guided tour with a little audio device that tells you about the rooms. You don't see that many rooms when you go on the tour, but you can get in and poke around and see these, I mean, just priceless works of art and um, antiques and uh, you know it, it, uh, again it sounds like eh, you know how exciting can it be I tell you what um, it's going to make anyone's heart pound to walk through this um, this residence it's unbelievable and is this the first time so you just recently went through the residence here during Christmas time correct I did because they have a special Christmas display now I've been there many times uh, in my in my life um, it's just one of those things that you if you have the opportunity to do, you should do it over and over because every time you're going to get a little bit more out of it. And the presentation is not always the same. But uh, at Christmas time, if you go at Christmas time, they have uh, rooms, uh, I think it's 63 fireplaces that we saw decorated with the mantle. The rooms are decorated and there are, I think there were more than 67 trees that were decorated. And this is a tradition going all the way back to when George Vanderbilt would welcome his guests to the estate. He would bring in a massive Christmas tree and then have Christmas trees throughout. And he not only would decorate like this for his guests in November, but when December 1st rolled around, he would have his staff take out the old massive Christmas tree that had been in there a month take the decorations off and put in another massive Christmas tree because he felt like his guests in December uh, deserved to have that fresh smell of a Christmas tree just like his November guests had had. So this this gentleman was just the epitome of a host. And walking through this residence at Christmas time, lit by candles, and to see all these lighted trees is just so magnificent. Well, and now it was built by Cornelius Vanderbilt, or did you say, is that right? George Vanderbilt. George. Um, and so George was the son of Cornelius. Was he son or grandson? I'm trying to check 
and see. I'm looking. But from that Vanderbilt family, and, and he actually started this project as a bachelor. And it took six years to get this enormous estate uh, put together and, and finished. And then he decided he would court this young lady, who was 11 years his junior, I believe. And they, uh, I believe, met on a transatlantic uh, voyage and got engaged and got married and he said you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take i want to take you home now after this honeymoon i want you to see your new home so she arrived at this what is like a castle or a palace uh like a amazing structure that would become her home she'd never seen it she had no she had no idea i mean we didn't have the internet she couldn't google uh you know use google earth to check out her new place but uh it's i just as we walked through this uh, mansion I, I found myself wondering what must her reaction have been as a new bride to arrive to this, you know, palatial uh, grounds and, and building and to see it for the first time and become the mistress of it. But apparently they were just known, they were legendary around the world for the way they entertained their guests and um, just highly recommend seeing that place at Christmas. If uh, folks can book a trip for next year, I think, or that in 2023, I think they would not regret it. Well, and, you know, I don't really know the whole Vanderbilt family story. I had read a book by Burton Folsom that he had written, uh, The Myth of the Robber Barons. And one of the, he had highlighted Cornelius Vanderbilt. So he was, was I think, the, you know, the, the patriarch that probably made the initial money. But he was a really an entrepreneur, and he um, he actually I think he did steamships, but he did them without government subsidies, and he was actually oh, able yeah. to provide a better product than those that were getting government subsidies. It's a fascinating book, uh, The Myth of the Robber Barons, and I'd highly recommend people to check that out um, because um, I thought it was fascinating. So it, it was his grandson, though, that, that had, it sounds like each of the generations did very well. And that's that could be an anomaly because sometimes a generation can make the money and the next generation spends it. So it sounds like they did very well with these generations, you know it. Well, the cool thing is the family still owns the estate, so they're still they still have uh, the great grandchildren of George Vanderbilt, who, who was indeed the, the grandson of Cornelius. They're still running it, and they're they actually had a, a little video that I saw that said we hope that our children will be the next leaders that will maintain this property. And I, I just it, it's really mind blowing to see that it's not something you see anymore, but. You're right. I mean, Cornelius started, He, the, as the story goes, he either borrowed or worked uh, hard to earn $100 from his mother, and he bought a little sailing vessel, and he started a little ferry business, and, and then he was operating three ferries after the first year of, of work, and then he, you know, got into steamships, and, you know, just, he worked hard, and they be, he became known as the Commodore. Um, and really did well. He got into rail transportation, and, and then, of course, his grandson, as he's building this huge estate, which I can't describe to you adequately, I think, um, how magnificent this place is. But uh, picture any castle you've ever seen in pictures, and then, you know, kind of quadruple the magnificence of it, I think, is, is kind of gives you a good idea. But um, you know, just he used, uh, the grandson used these rail lines to bring in the just 
staggering amounts of resources to build this, you know, play yard really for the uh, for the very wealthy. I mean, they all traveled in the same circles, and and um, they would come. and There was an indoor swimming pool in this uh, house that was built in eighteen you know ninety, and there was an indoor bowling alley, um, and it's still all beautifully maintained. So when you walk through, it's like they just stepped out for an afternoon, and you're walking in right behind them. I mean, it's just, there are tapestries on the walls that um, are 500 years old that uh, George Vanderbilt went around the, around the world collecting furniture for this residence of his that he was building, and um, it's really not, you, you won't see anything like that anywhere else in our country or maybe around the world. I think it's, it's remarkable. checking it out. Yeah, I think it's remarkable that the the family still owns it and that uh, because, again, you get um, next generations involved and, you know, sometimes there's, you know, acrimony. And uh, I find this absolutely remarkable that this is still occurring. Yeah, beautiful. Now, they have quite a bit of marketing going on. There are, you know, places for you to spend money all over the place. And they've got a couple of hotels um, on the property now. So you can actually go and stay, but it's it's like being in the middle of a, a huge park um very isolated, except for the other people that are, are visiting. And, you know, there are herds of deer that you see. You can go out and walk the paths and kind of imagine yourself to be a guest of the Vanderbilts back in um, before 1900. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, um, a very special place. And uh, so it's, it's worth the trip east for all of us out here in the West to go see that, <laughs> correct? Yes, you'll feel so warm, I think. Oh, be, uh, the, the weather is more mild in North Carolina than I think you, what you might be experiencing right now. Well, for right now, for sure. I, that is one of the misnomers that I think people think that it's really uh, cold and snowy in Denver. <clears throat> We're actually part of the high, um, uh, the high Plains Desert, and sometimes it gets uh, very, very warm. In fact, they're talking that uh, tonight it's supposed to get down to negative 13, negative 14. There's going to be an Arctic blast that comes through. But it's 49 degrees right now, if you can believe that, Nanette Holt. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I know Wyoming is bracing. I, I think you have listeners in Wyoming. Yes. And I know they're, they're bracing for uh, negative 70 wind chill. So <sighs> um, that's, that's, that's know, cold. That's when we start having major problems. Yes. Yes. That that is true, and that's why we're grateful when we have reliable, efficient, affordable, and abundant energy. And we do a lot of shows on that. Nanette, let's go to break. We're going to have our final segment, and uh, I'll be excited to hear what you have to say because you said you have a heartwarming star- uh, story on that. I'm talking with Nanette Holt, and we'll be right back. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. 
every family needs a healthcare team that has your child's best interest as the priority, and Roots Medical is proud to offer exactly that. At Roots Medical, we strive to empower and educate both parent and child about the importance of gut health, how to implement healthy changes in the home, and of course, all of the benefits that come with a fully optimized immune system. Same day and sickness appointments are available and easy to schedule. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R O O T S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your healthcare concerns. You want a gun, ammo, and outstanding training, so Franktown Firearms is the right place for you. The trained staff is available for your questions and will give you the freedom to browse their large supply of firearms and fully stocked ammunition without any pressure. Your comfort level in the store is their priority. You'll get expert answers whether you're buying or not every time you visit the store. You want a knowledgeable gunman, not just a salesperson, when you're thinking about buying a firearm or learning how to use one. You can trust the staff at Franktown Firearms. They don't make commissions on any sale, so you know they are looking out for your best interest. They're sure that you will leave with a smile because no matter what your needs are, they will help you to be confident in your decisions and purchases. Their low tax rate and at or below MSRP cost will keep you smiling. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown today. That's klzradio.com slash franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. Then peel the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. I am so thrilled to be doing these pre-records for you for Christmas week. And what a gem we have here. And that is Nanette Holt. And she covers a wide range of issues for the Epic Times, mostly in Georgia and her home state of Florida. And she started as a journalist in a competitive daily newspaper market and later launched a community newspaper in a geographic area ignored by other media. Fascinating. We'll have to talk about that some other time, Nanette. But um, you said you have a a story that will pull on our heartstrings. So what is that? Oh, I do. Well, in anticipation of speaking with you, which I've enjoyed so much, thank you for having me, um, I checked in with the Retirement Home for Horses at Mill Creek Farm, which is in Alachua, Florida, in kind of the north-central part of Florida. This is a really special place. I went there actually as a photographer assisting another um, reporter for the Epic Times, who happens to be my daughter. Um, And I accompanied her and took some photos, and we told people about this incredible place. This place was set aside on 335 acres of an old watermelon farm that has been transformed to take in old horses after they have served our country, either as police horses or military horses. We still have military horses. Or as um, they come to this place because they have ended up, for some tragic reason, in a rescue, and they are now over 20, and a lot of rescues cannot... Uh, keep a horse that old because it's quite expensive to, to maintain an old horse. They have needs, and they, they're not easy to care for. Um, they get expensive, and so this place will also 
not only taking these heroic, uh, you know, country-serving horses, but also these just uh, old-timers who need a place or they'll be euthanized. So I checked in with them to ask, what is Christmas like on the horse farm? You know, horses need work every single day. Uh, I was kind of wondering, you know, do they not see anybody on Christmas because people are busy with their presents and their traditions? And, oh, no, I should have known better. Um, the uh, person who is the caretaker of this uh, farm said that they'll have about 15 or 20 volunteers out there showering these animals with extra love on Christmas, feeding them bananas because many of them don't have teeth anymore. Oh. <laughs> feeding them carrots, feeding them apples, um, brushing them, giving them attention. These horses were used to having a lot of human interaction, and they seem to crave it when you visit this place. Uh, and it is open to the public on Saturdays for four hours. Uh, admission is two carrots. Um, it's two carrots. When they see people coming, they amble over to the fence. They want to be petted. They want to nibble their carrots. But um, the caretaker, Paul Gregory, who's the son of the couple who founded this um, magnificent place, he was telling me that he was so happy they had a brand-new resident. Right now they have, <clears throat> excuse me, 138 horses, three miniature donkeys, and a zorse, which is a zebra crossed with a horse. All of them will never be sold, never sent away. They will, once they come onto the property, they never set a foot off of it. That's where they go until they are uh, buried one day in the field of dreams and honored there. Uh, But he was most excited about their brand new uh, uh, horse that they took in. Peyton had been uh, taken into a rescue seven years ago. He was near death from starvation. Um, They rehabbed him. He could never be ridden again, but the person who adopted him was okay with that. She just wanted him to keep her old horse company. Well, this person called the rescue this past week and said, you know, I'm going to have to put my old horse down. He's suffering, and I just don't want to keep Peyton anymore. If we can't give him back, we're going to put him down, too. Well, Peyton has a lot of life left. Peyton's 22, but he's in really good health, and uh, this beautiful place said we'll take Peyton so Peyton got a Christmas miracle Peyton was going to be put down because he wasn't wanted anymore and he's been brought to this retirement home for horses and I just thought it was so cool the the person who cares for all the horses says I just he's got the life now and I'm so happy and he never has to go anywhere this is where he'll stay the rest of his life so um, I thought that was pretty cool and, and I just wanted to share that with you well, and it's it's intriguing. So your daughter also writes for the Epic Times, you said? She is a journalism student, and she writes when she has time, yes. And so you you were there. So it's 100, you said there's 138 horses there right now. And so is, is the public pretty involved as well? Or you said that's only on Saturdays that people can go? Or what does that look like exactly, Nanette? Well, I think they have volunteers there every day. That that's what, the, the woman who founded the property or uh, founded the farm is ninety. She turned ninety two weeks ago, so she she kind of tools around on a on a golf cart, overseeing things with her rescue dogs, and her son um, marshals volunteers who really flock to this place to help. There is a lot of work that has to be done, and people from the community, surrounding community, just pour their hearts into maintaining this property so that these horses will never have to go anywhere. Uh, 
the woman who was the founder founded it with her husband, and they have an interesting story. They met, uh, as I said, she just turned 90, and he's passed on. Um, but they met when they were both attending the University of London, and on dates they would go and they would visit the pastures where they would give the, the milkman horse, the, the horses that pulled, pulled the milk uh, carriages. It was a place where those horses could get some respite and just rest and not have to be working for maybe a week or a weekend. They would go and visit them there, and they said, boy, if we could ever start an animal rescue where the horses wouldn't have to go back to work, wouldn't that be cool? But then they got into making their fortune through hotels, and they owned resorts and hotels, and they were never able to have animals, even though they loved animals, and animals had kind of brought them together as a couple. Um, So they all these years nurtured this dream when they finally sold their hotels and asked themselves the question, okay, what is retirement going to look like? Should we enjoy luxurious travel and a life of ease? Or do we really want to throw our, our, ourselves into a seven-day-a-week, kind of very physically demanding retirement? Is that what we want? And the answer was yes. And so they really have done something special. And when um, Mary's husband passed away, he put the farm in trust. So it will always be a retirement home for horses. It's really cool. You know, that's so interesting that you would say that they didn't have horses for many years. Uh, somebody a long time ago, because uh, horses are a lot of maintenance and they are expensive. And somebody said, never buy something that eats while you sleep. And I thought that that was uh, <laughs> that was uh, in some ways you if you're going to buy something that eats when you sleep, you must must love it. That is for sure. That's right. But, you know, as horses age, then even their usefulness isn't the same, and they, they become quite, you know, quite demanding financially, even more so than just maintaining a regular horse. But the way these horses are cared for at this rescue is unbelievable. Most people think of horses living into their 20s, maybe into their 30s. Their oldest resident is going to be 45. No way. I've met him. His name is R.C. He's a former police horse. Um the oldest that ever uh, was at the farm lived to be 46, but um, Mr. Gregory, Paul, will tell you quite quickly, that's not the oldest horse ever. The Smithsonian apparently has the skull of a horse that died at age 60 after pulling a barge in England uh, for many, many years. His name was Billy the Horse. He was quite famous and lived to 60, worked a hard life, and um, apparently did, you know, must have been pretty healthy and cared for pretty well to live that old be that old. So uh, that's his goal, I think, is to uh, have one outlive Billy the horse from England. Well, and what's great is, now let's see, I'm over here seeing your piece at the Epic Times. It's titled, Couple Fulfills Lifelong Dream, Honors Heroic Horses with Forever Homes. And uh, really fast, and so people can just um, go to the Epic Times and put in, Couple Couple Fulfills Lifelong Dream, and that probably should come up, I would imagine, right, Nanette? It, it absolutely will. Again, I'm pretty proud of that one, not because I wrote it, but because my daughter did. Oh, that's right. Your daughter wrote it. As I read it to prepare talking with you, I tell you what, the tears were streaming down my face. Mm-hmm. It is such a beautiful story, and I know I'm not doing it justice, but I hope that your readers will take the time because it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it'll make you feel good. It'll make you feel really good about how people are willing to make sacrifices to do kind things. And again, I just think that's uh, 
something to really hold on to, especially this time of year, but all year. You know, that kind things are worthwhile things. Well, most, and, definitely, uh, most definitely. And uh, Nanette, we have just about a minute left. Uh, how would you like to button up this uh, conversation, this show? Well, you know, I, I told, I've told you before, I think your show's mission is amazing. Um, and you bring out such good, smart points on, you know, how we should be kind of keeping close watch on government and the policies that, you know, we have to abide by. But, you know, again, I just, I hope people as they go into 2023 will really focus also on the, the things that are uplifting and positive. I think it, there's more of that than the bad stuff that's dragging us down right now. If we all link arms as a country, I think we really have a great 2023 ahead. And and I just look forward to seeing all the good things and the good news that we'll report. From your lips to God's ears, Nanette. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Amen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for having me. And my friends, today be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music like the piano guys, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals and like Superman stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you and God bless America.